0: On Friday, hope was lost. Jesus was crucified and the disciples were scattered. On Saturday, the world was dark. The tomb was sealed. The disciples were afraid and their Messiah was dead. All they could see was defeat. All they could hear was doubt. All they could feel was the sting and the pain of death. But then came Sunday. On Sunday, the light dawned. Hope flew in, victory shook the earth. The tomb is empty, Jesus is alive. Sunday changed everything. The resurrection changes everything for you and for me. And as much as it has changed the world, it can change you too. The very foundations of your life. Welcome, thank you for worshiping with us this morning. I'm Pastor Andrew, one of the pastors here. Um, This morning I want to ask you a question. What things in your life have you experienced that have forever left your life changed from that time on? What have you experienced? Something you didn't know about and then once you knew it changed things, something you hadn't experienced, then you did, and your life became different. It was on a different trajectory. You might think of big things like having a child. Having a child, the first one, really changes the trajectory and the perspective that you have on life for those of you that have had children. Or it could be discovering your passion or your calling. What is it that you were made for? What is it that gives you joy and passion? Once you discover it, it changes how you live the rest of your life. For me, uh, going to seminary, I didn't go to seminary to be a normal pastor, yet here I am in front of you today as a pastor, hopefully not too normal though. It changed the trajectory of my life. I experienced it, right? Now, I've had many experiences like that, I think you have too, and I have a couple more lighthearted ones here to illustrate the point. So the first thing I need to know, how many of you in your household, either growing up or today, how many of you just dominantly have one kind of salad dressing in your fridge? How many of you just keep one kind? A few of you, maybe two kinds? Yeah, all right. So I grew up in a house, and we were a French dressing house. We were a French dressing house, the orange stuff, you know? I don't know if Western and French is the same thing, but we called it French dressing. Whatever you got at Aldi, that was the one we had every single time. My dad liked French dressing, my mom liked French dressing, so therefore that was the law. We were a French dressing house. I didn't know what was out there in the world of salad dressings. So I went to Cub Scout camp. I was a Cub Scout. I went to Winnebago Scout Reservation up by Marble Rock, and we were sitting down to lunch one day, and I was across from some boys from a different, I don't know who they were, from a different town, a different pack. And salad was on the menu, so you know those squirt bottles that they have ketchup and mustard in? There were a bunch of squirt bottles full of salad dressing on the table there in front of us. And um, I looked across, and the boy across from me, he had this one that I didn't recognize, and he's putting it on of salad, and I'm like, what is that? He's like, you don't know what this is? I'm like, no, I don't know what that is. Um, this, is this is salad dressing, what is that? You know? And he, he's like, this is ranch dressing. And I said never heard of it. He's like, you've never heard of ranch dressing? Like his mind was blown, right? So he gave me the bottle. He's like, you need to try this. So I I still don't know who he was. I'm thankful for him in my life. I put a little ranch dressing on that lettuce, and I put it in my mouth, and I said, whoa, this is good. My life was changed, and not a day has gone by since then that I wouldn't be happy to have ranch dressing, right? Not fat-free. That is of the devil. Fat-free ranch, no. No. Just regular ranch, regular ranch. Even better yet if it's buttermilk and made fresh. So so that's one example, right? The second, uh, do you remember when these came out? A phone that you could touch? Now, I had to buy my own cell phone in high school. My parents didn't get me one. And so I was pretty cheap. I would always get the phone that you could get for free with a two-year plan renewal, right? And so finally the day came where I'd been using a MacBook for years, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to integrate these things in my life. I am going to go get an iPhone. This was about 10 years ago. And I bought an iPhone, and man, I played a lot of Angry Birds. A lot of Angry Birds. And I have not, not had an iPhone ever since that moment, right? And for, for you, maybe you're LG or Android people, that's fine. The touch screen, like it was a change that really impacted our whole culture on, on a world level, that you could touch something and it would just, it would just work, Right? So that was one thing for me too. I experienced the reality of an iPhone, I never went back. Never went back to a flip phone or a feature phone or whatever else they used to have. Flip phones are coming back, I don't know if you knew that. The last thing that I think illustrates this well, uh, now I didn't, I didn't grow up in a coffee house. I grew up in a Russian tea house. Does anybody know what Russian tea is? Nobody, maybe just a couple people, yeah. So it's like this mixture of a bunch of instant things and you put it together and it makes your morning drink. So. My dad liked Russian tea, my mom liked Russian tea, so what did we have in our house? We had Russian tea. And uh, I wasn't a coffee person. I had tried coffee a few times. I'd tried it at church. It was not good. I just didn't think anything like that was really that appealing. And so um, in high school, I started going to coffee shops, and I I got hooked on peppermint mochas. How many of you like peppermint mochas? That was kind of my drink. Cup of Joe, Cedar Falls downtown, peppermint mochas, a couple times a week. I graduated early. And I would be studying there for my AP psychology test. And I would always be drinking a peppermint mocha. So I learned enough in AP psychology to know that I should also drink one while I took the test, because it was going to help me associate with all the answers of the questions that I had learned. And so I did. I went there, got a peppermint mocha, went back. And so to me, that was coffee. Peppermint mocha, that was coffee. A Couple years later, I went up to Charles City with a friend um, and doing, run some errands when I was in college. And there was this new coffee shop On the street called Aromas. Has anybody ever been to Aromas in Charles City? No? It's a really good place. I think it's still open. I think it's still run by the same people. But I walked into that coffee shop and I said, hey, I want a peppermint mocha. He's like, are you sure? I'm like, well, yeah, I want a peppermint mocha. That's coffee. And he's like, have you ever had black coffee? I'm like, yeah, it was terrible. And he's like, maybe you haven't actually had a good cup of black coffee before. And so I let him humor me and I humored him and he poured me a cup of Ethiopian Yirgacheffe single-origin coffee that he had roasted right in his shop a couple days before. And I took a drink and I said, hmm, I didn't know coffee could taste like that. And he started naming all these flavor notes, right, that, like with a good glass of wine, a cup of coffee is the same way. You can pull out different flavors based on where those coffee beans were grown and the environment that they were grown in. So he's naming some stuff and I'm like, I, I, I see that, I get it. That day. I fell in love with black coffee. And now, normally, if you see me with a cup of coffee, even if it's the bad stuff at church, <laughs> sorry, no, we, we, we have some good coffee too. But even if I have that, I don't put anything in it because it changed my experience of something. And now, my life includes a lot of coffee, you can imagine. So these are simple things, right? Simple things to illustrate a change, how our lives change their trajectory. And if a good cup of coffee Or if ranch dressing, for crying out loud, can change my life just a little bit, how much more can my life change knowing Jesus in the power of the resurrection, one who was once dead and now is alive, who we can know personally. From our gospel passage in Luke today, there's some things I think the Holy Spirit wants to highlight. So we're going to read through that passage and work through that here for a few minutes. So Luke chapter 24. He is risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered these words. So these women, they think they're going to present spices to the body, a burial custom, right? And these women are named in verse 10. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and others with them. They go to the tomb. And they don't find the sealed tomb that they expected. They find angels. They find messengers from God. Because God didn't want these early visitors to the tomb to to make any mistakes or to have to interpret for themselves what was happening here. God wanted to tell them directly. And so they take this news that Jesus has risen, that he isn't there, or at least they take the testimony of those angels and they go back to the other 11 disciples And from that moment, for them, Sunday is over. The reality of Sunday is over. It's gone. Sunday is here, and hope begins to kindle in their hearts that maybe this Jesus is alive. Picking up in verse 36, after Jesus walks on the road to Emmaus with a couple disciples and teaches them, and they realize it's him, and he disappears, they go back, and they talk to the disciples in Jerusalem. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. If you're anything like me, if somebody that I knew to be dead appeared right here in front of me, I would need some peace, right? You would need that peace. They were startled, they were frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet, it is I myself. Touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. I'm not totally sure what their theology was about ghosts, but they believed so much that Jesus was dead that the only thing that they could comprehend in their minds was that this must be a ghost. They had seen Jesus die on the cross. Some of them had even helped put him in the tomb. It was clear that they thought he was dead and that this, this was not a risen Jesus in front of them. The thought hadn't crossed their minds. They're still living on Saturday, right? To them, Saturday is still there. The tomb is still sealed. Jesus is not alive. And Jesus is like, look at my wounds, my scars. A ghost does not have flesh like I have. Verse 40, when Jesus said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, it's gone from doubt to maybe some reserved hope, joy and amazement, right? He asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it in their presence. Why does Jesus do that? Because ghosts don't need to eat. Jesus is going one step further to show them he truly is alive and has risen in the flesh. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written, The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus here once again reminds them why he died, why he rose from the dead, and what their mission is going to be as they take this good news and preach. Verse 48, You are witnesses of these things, he tells his disciples. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So Jesus tells them this mission is coming. He tells them it was for the forgiveness of sins that he died. It was for life to be experienced that he rose. And that they're going to be sent to go proclaim this just as he himself was sent to proclaim the coming kingdom of God in his earthly ministry. And he tells them that they're going to be clothed with power from on high. What does that mean? It doesn't mean they got really good robes. It doesn't mean that they walked around with really good coffee, although that is a lot closer, being clothed with power on high. Or they didn't get superhero suits, right? Like these were normal people who had a normal calling. Many of them had professions. They were going to get clothed with the very power of God because of this miracle. The power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in them to lead them, guide them, direct them, and empower them to this new reality where the dead can be risen. Friends, living on Saturday, living in the reality of the resurrection, or living on Sunday, living in the reality of the resurrection, and living a resurrected life means that we are not looking to our own power, our own methods, our own understandings of how things work, but that we look to the Holy Spirit to fill us and lead us and guide us. And these disciples, they accept that gift willingly because they believe that Jesus is alive and has conquered death. They accept that clothing from on high. And they go on to fundamentally change the world through their witness and through the love of God displayed in their lives. So much so that we still stand here talking about it 2,000 years later. They knew Jesus was alive. They experienced him alive. They saw him. They touched him. They saw him eat a fish And then they received the Holy Spirit after they watched him ascend to be with his father. Friends, sometimes we doubt that the resurrection happened, but there was no doubt in their minds, no doubt at all, that the resurrection happened, it was real, and it was life-changing, and they literally staked their lives on it and gave their lives to that message from that point on. As incredible as the resurrection is, as incredible as that power of God is, I believe that there's a lot of lies that we still live with even when we hear the account of the resurrection. Now most of us have heard about Jesus, we've heard about the resurrection, we've seen and we've heard the testimony of many who followed Jesus through the scriptures, but also many in our lives today. And even having accepted it as being true or knowing cognitively in our minds that it is true, many of us still have a view of God that he is somehow sitting around waiting for us to mess up so he can punish us. Many of us might consider ourselves to be Christian. We want to follow God. We want to do good. But we think that God is vengeful and he's going to punish us. And we think that even though Jesus died for our sins, that we're also going to have to pay for ours. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people who have been Christians their whole lives or a good portion of their lives say things that lead me to believe this is what they believe. That somehow we need to live good enough lives to get into heaven, or at least to avoid God's wrath. When we think those things, when we believe those lies, we're living on Saturday, not on Sunday. We have a view of God and of the world that is dark. We have our hopes sealed in the tomb of hopelessness. We feel like we have to perform to a certain level to earn God's love or to avoid his punishment. And we live in fear. How much does our world today live in fear? Fear of many things, but often the fear that we aren't good enough for God, or that he couldn't possibly love us for what we have done, or even fear of not being good enough for our loved ones or even ourselves. And we live with this anxiety and this defeat in our lives. We live on Saturday. And ultimately, this world, and sometimes us, we often live as this death is still the ultimate power in the world that we live in. And sometimes we even go join Jesus in that tomb and lay with him there. Friends, that's not the good news of Easter. That's not what Easter is for. That's not what the resurrection was meant to lead us to believe. So let me tell you this today. You don't have to live on Saturday anymore. You don't have to live there. It's a new day. What shook the earth on Sunday with a resurrection can shake the foundations of every one of our lives as well. And it can open our life to any and all who turn to Jesus. The resurrection becomes an experience. It becomes a newness. The tomb is open, and the hopelessness isn't there anymore. The fear that we experience of God's punishment, let me tell you this, the fear that we experience of God's punishment, it is no longer valid Because the punishment was taken 100% by Jesus on the cross. And the death that we deserve for our sin, guess what? It has been stomped out by the power of God in the resurrection. This is what Easter is about. This is what the resurrection does for us. We don't have to stay in the tomb. We don't even have to stay by the tomb. We don't have to live without hope. We don't have to bow to the fear that rules this world. There is a better way. And we don't have to live like we are asleep. Our Ephesians text this morning said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. He can shine on us because he is alive. He is resurrected. And we can experience the joy and the life and the love of the resurrection too. So I want you to say two things with me today. The first thing I want you to say is, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And because he died for you and for me and he rose for you and for me, I want you to say this. I am alive in Jesus. I am alive in Jesus. Amen. And if you don't feel that way today, that doesn't change God's love for you. If you're in a dark place, if you're in a hopeless place, if you're living on Saturday right now, that does not change God's love for you and he wants you to experience that hope and that joy too. Because this resurrection, this life, It is good enough. It is powerful enough. It is grace-filled enough for every one of us. So this is the series we're running into this spring, The Resurrected Life. And we're going to talk about things that we experience when we embrace Sunday, when we embrace the resurrection. We don't want anyone to live on Saturday anymore. We don't need to live there. Because Sunday is here. There's a new way. There's a new hope. And so we'll be looking at the power and the goodness that comes with the invitation for us to live a resurrected life in Jesus Christ, and I want to invite any and all of you who feel called to be here to be part of that journey. And I want to invite you too, if you don't have a church home or if you feel disconnected from this reality of the resurrection, if you feel disconnected from God's people, um, please know that you are welcome here, even if you're not feeling it. This is a place uh, for people who don't have it all figured out. Right? That's what the church is. That's what Emmanuel is. And it's a place where we can learn and experience more of God's grace so that the things we know about can be the things that we experience. And this is a place where we want to see everyone thrive, not just get by, not just survive, but thrive living an abundant life in the resurrection. So if that's you or if you have any other questions about that, I invite you to reach out to me directly or or Pastor Allison or the church. We want to talk to you, we want to have this conversation. And a reminder, what you heard earlier on May 7th, we'll be having a Welcome to Emmanuel class to learn more about this church as well, our mission and our vision for the future, how we desire God to help us live this in the coming years. Emmanuel celebrates this 125th anniversary this fall, Um, and so keep eyes out for a celebration with that, but 125 years of following Jesus, and we want hundreds more as we experience the resurrected life. We want to thrive, and we want you to thrive too. Friends, on this Easter morning, Jesus is alive. There's no doubt about it. Jesus invites you to live on Sunday, to cast off the darkness of Saturday, to live the resurrected life in him. You're not going to find it anywhere else. So let's experience his love, his grace, his forgiveness, and the hope of eternal life in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you that this is an experience that we can have, not just something we know about. We thank you, God, that because you are alive and because you sent your Holy Spirit, we can actually have a relationship with you, and we can personally know the one who did not stay dead. Lord, may we live into this life. May we live into the newness of the resurrection. Lord, would you break down those barriers in our lives that prevent us from feeling hope, and joy and grace in you. And may we leave here today, Lord, without a doubt in our mind, that your love is real and that you love each of us perfectly. May we experience that love today in Jesus' name. Amen.